These opportunities will give me what I need to level up life. Hey, what's up, beautiful souls? Chad and Eric here, and we just want to welcome you back to another week at the Roundtable. We are so grateful to have you, and we have a wonderful episode in store for you. So, stay tuned and enjoy. Hey, what's up, beautiful souls? Chad Hayfiller here. With my brother Eric Dixon. Yo. And we'd like to welcome you back to the round table. Lights at the round table. This week we have a special guest, author, podcast host, and holistic lifestyle expert, Ronnie Landis. And uh Ronnie, so grateful to have you and all of you listeners out there. Uh thank you for coming back to the round table with us. And uh we're really, really gonna dive deep with Ronnie here and super grateful to have you on. Ronnie, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here, dude. Um, absolutely. You can hear me okay? Oh, yeah. Loud and clear. Beautiful. Yep. Yep. Loud and clear. So, yeah, man. Thanks for joining us at the table. This is a, this is a topic I, th- I think we touched on like earlier in our in our series, uh, earlier in our podcast right. um, uh, birth, I guess you could say. Uh, and I'm excited to, to be back with a, uh, with a specialist in addiction because um, I think mm-hmm. it's a crazy topic and uh, mm-hmm. I think I think we all can kind of relate to it maybe we've got some family members maybe it's ourselves and um, I think some people can really learn from this so Ronnie excited to pick your brain excited to dive in we can go <laughs> any direction you want just uh, let me know where you want to go yeah absolutely so I mentioned he was an author his book his newest book I, I saw that you have a few books out uh, the Addiction-Free Lifestyle, The True Path of yes. Inner Peace and Self-Mastery. Um, how was that journey for you? Uh, yeah, well, well, it was quite a journey. Um, I started that book in 2020 and published it uh, 2021. Yeah, May 2021. And, um, I mean, it was quite a journey going through the book. I, I've been in and out of studying addiction for the last 10 years, just being a holistic nutritionist and health practitioner and going through all the various literature on disease reversal and how to optimize the physical body as well as just the human experience. And so you come across addiction and trauma and things of this nature when you're going through these subjects and you're working with people but the theme of addiction didn't really become more of a focus until 2020 when i started really um really looking at my own tendencies and habits that i had developed over the years of just dealing with a lot of stress and life circumstances and taking on different coping mechanisms that's what i call addictions essentially they're coping mechanisms that Mm -hmm. we use to medicate numb or or deal with stress or trauma or angst or anxiety or whatever it is that we're dealing with in our life and i so i started really confronting these things in my life and that took me down a big journey of really understanding addiction from a much deeper level a more of a psycho spiritual as well as a, a biological level and the book itself was quite a journey it was a personal journey but then it was a deeper journey into the world of addiction and understanding trauma at a much deeper level 
understanding what people are really dealing with in society, you know, psychologically, emotionally, uh, physically and spiritually. And so I went through that book in about eight months and was just really, really intent on putting everything that together that I could imagine every conceivable aspect of the puzzle and creating something that now I feel like is, is really one of a kind. I, I don't think any book like this has ever been put together as far as a, a well-rounded and complete picture on addiction. And of course, addiction is just more of a surface level entry into what it really is, which is a deeper interpersonal um, journey and understanding why it is that we develop certain um, addictive patterns, where they're coming from, why, why do we, well, essentially, why do we do the things that we do and what is the value that we're trying to get out of these quote unquote addictions, even if they are self-destructive, they're not supporting us. We know that we should let go of these things, but for some reason we're not and we're getting some kind of value out of it. And this is something that I think almost everybody is dealing with, whether it's it's a micro or a macro kind of situation. Addiction is a spectrum. Right. It's not just one thing. It rests on a spectrum. And everybody has experienced this, either themselves or definitely they have family members, they have friends, they have colleagues. Um, they see it out in society in varying degrees of extremes. Um, and it just felt like such a topic that was universal and that I had to I had to write this book. There, there was no way around it. It just became clear and obvious that this was the thing that I had to bring forward. And uh, it was it was quite a journey, to say the least. Yeah, I would imagine so. I would imagine so. And, and eight months. I, so I've bought the book and really started to dive into it. And it's, like you said, it's really well put together. I, I compliment you on that. And uh, there is a lot. There is a lot in there. And uh, it's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot to unpack. And um, it's my it's the eighth book I've written in the last 12 years. So wow. I mean, as far as the writing process, I've I've developed that skill set so the writing process wasn't super difficult um it, it almost kind of wrote itself as i got deeper into it and that's how these things kind of work in the creative process and by the way that's also one of the antidotes for addiction is getting into the creative process because a lot of times these addictions that we struggle with are ways to compensate with the boredom mm -hmm. that we feel inside Right. And it tends to be a lack of creative energy, creative impulse, and our reality kind of can feel really flat, really um, dull or mundane. And then we're seeking something outside of ourselves, maybe a substance, a drugified technology, um, a relationship, a sexual exploitation, something outside of us to enhance our experience temporarily. And so that's another thing, just just really getting into a creative process, some form of art helps to kind of get momentum and, and get that energy moving. Is that why you got into a creative space? Like when you first started writing, was that one of your antidotes or had you realized that yet? Or how did that come about as far as writing goes? You've wrote 12 books. That's pretty amazing, man. Yeah, I mean... I think I think it's always been in me. I, I grew up writing poetry and music lyrics and um, 
you know, short form stories and stuff when I was much younger. So I think it was something that was always in me. Um, I always wanted to be an author, but I never really had an idea of what I was going to write until I got into the health field. And then it became a lot more obvious that I was going to start writing books on health and nutrition, which then started to blend spirituality and personal development and, and mindset and these things into it. And um, that, that started about 12 years ago. So I think it was just a gradual progression. And I've always been geared towards creative pursuits, whether that was athletically, that was in my martial arts, that was in designing websites or creating coaching programs for clients or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, I definitely feel like it, it has been an antidote. It's been, a, it's been a, a source of where to put my energy because another thing, when you, when you study and talk to people that are dealing with addiction or people that have overcome addiction and have become successful in their life, one of the things that they say is that they had a lot of energy, but they didn't know where to put it. Mm-hmm. And so you have all this energy going on but if you don't have somewhere to po- put it and focus it, then all you can really do is is put it into something that's going to probably m- medicate this energy. Say somebody has like quote unquote ADD or ADHD, some of these more these more pseudo psychological terms that we think of for like attention deficit or disorder. Somebody can't think straight; they have anxiety, so we need to put them on some kind of Prozac or some kind of focusing, medication, um, all that really is, is just a lot of energy in that person's system that is being misdirected or it's not being properly channeled through it, through a channel that is of interest to the individual. Mm -hmm. But once somebody actually finds something that is of interest to them and they're passionate about, all of a sudden that energy starts to find a current. It starts to find a channel and then that too is a huge thing for for you know overcoming quote unquote addiction or let's just say inner challenges that people have is finding finding a channel to put that energy into and then it's really amazing what can happen for people yeah absolutely brother absolutely and and speaking of your books you have you have uh the foreword by uh, Richard Rudd. Richard Rudd, some of our listeners may be familiar with the Gene Keys. Uh, man, that is, that's a awesome feat to have somebody of, of that status uh, write the foreword for your book, man. How, how did your meeting with him uh, come about? Did you meet him at a um, conference or, or how did that come about? Because that's a, that's a really uh, prestigious name in that, in this field. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, um, I've been in this industry for a long time, so I've I've become friends with a lot of a lot of people in that kind of like ilk, if you will, right. that a lot of people look up to. And uh, Richard has been a has been kind of a friend from a distance for maybe six or seven years. And I got into his Jinkies work a while back, and I had him on my podcast in 2016. And then we just kind of hit it off and we've, we've done about four podcasts together over the years. He had me, he interviewed me at one point for his group. He was doing a group program. We just became good friends. And then I reached out to him when I was putting the book together, he just came to mind and I just sent him an email and asked him if he'd be willing to uh, go over the manuscript and read it. And, uh, you know, because the relationship that we developed, he was, he was excited to, 
Uh, he was hesitant, um, as he writes in the foreword, but once he got into it, he, um, he went through the whole book and wrote some really beautiful words. And That's I was really great. grateful to have his uh, endorsement on that. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that was really beautiful. I, I saw that. And I was like, wow, you know, because when, when we connected on social media, I'm not even sure when it was, I, I really resonated with the things that you were putting out. And I had no idea. And it wasn't until uh, you agreed to come onto the podcast, I really started to dive into your work. I'm like, man, this guy has a lot of stuff out here and has some really uh, beautiful connections with people that are, are uh, some some more prestigious names in the field, like David Wolf. I saw your good friends with him, and I saw your podcast with him. Uh, Pop, uh, Paul Check, wow, that, that podcast, beautiful, brother. You know, that's that's really awesome, and I'm happy to Thank see you. That. I've heard Appreciate that name, that. Paul Check. Yeah. Hmm. So is that another relationship you have? Because I, I look to Paul Check's work a lot in, in my own studies. And um, is that kind of the same thing, just running into each other with being in the same field? Or or how did that well, one come about? Well, with, with Paul, I, you know, I've, I've looked up to Paul for many years. Mm-hmm. And some of my close friends are good friends with him. Me and Paul have never met yet. We have actually only had that one conversation that we did for that podcast, which was an amazing conversation. Yes, it was. Um, we've had a few email correspondences, but we, we haven't, we haven't uh, dropped in deep yet. I'm hoping to uh, pop on his show when the time, when the time permits. So that's, that's another seed that I'm, I'm planting right there. Yeah. I like how you said, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Plant that seed. Yeah. <laughs> and most recently being on Ben Greenfield's show, one, one thing that I took from that is something you and Ben uh, alluded to often is, is your relationship with God. And it's kind of shifting mm. gears here, uh, but that's not a lot. You don't hear that a lot from public figures, them openly talking yeah. about their relationship with God. So if you don't mind, what is mm-hmm. God, what or who is God to Ronnie Landis? Uh, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I know that's a, a loaded question, but... Well, it's, it's an unanswerable question, really. Right. Um, you know, like, you can't, I can't really answer that, you know, honestly. I mean, in terms of, like, a definition, because the truth of the matter is nobody actually knows. Right. And yet, and yet we can know, but it, it's hard to give it, give it a description. And the more you try to describe something like God— Though it's like getting closer to the sun, the closer you get to it, the the harder it is to touch. Right. Um. Yet you know it's there, and you feel the presence ever more. So, um. I I know that God is a personal, is a personal journey for each individual, and to me, I I think it's it's okay. So, for me personally, it's a few things. Um. It's a few levels. I, I look at it like there, there's a few levels based on my own human perception, because that's all I can do to describe this, right? right. With with something as limited as the English language. Mm-hmm. Um. On one level, God is the Holy Trinity, the 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 Father, the Son. I I think the Holy Trinity is really actually the the Father, the Mother, and the Child. Mm-hmm. Um. But let's say the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Child, or the Son, mm-hmm. and so from an archetypal perspective, I look at God as the heavenly father. And then I look at like, you know, Gaia as earthly mother Because mm-hmm. I think there, I don't think you can separate those two. Um, and when you get into like Christianity, it, it's, it can get a little challenging because there, there does seem to be some division amongst 
the language of it. And and by the way, I, I when talking to Ben Greenfield, I really resonate and value his perspective. And he's very he's very rooted in Christianity. But I, I think there's a lot to be said about Christian mysticism and the teachings of Christianity, maybe not so much the Vaticanized church or churchianity. I think those are two separate things um, in religion itself. But the mysticism of it, I think, is actually very important because it gives us a foundation that we can stand on versus a lot of the new age spirituality that is kind of like a crapshoot. You know, it's just hopping from concepts and theories and abstractions of the mind and deities. And most of it doesn't have like a strong foundation to stand on. So it's kind of like you're hopping from lily pad to lily pad of belief systems and concepts and trying to see what feels good or what you can you you can stand on, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I just want to say, like, I respect, I respect, you know, Christian mysticism for the fact that it gives us something to stand on. It gives us a, a spiritual framework that we can orient our mind to, even if you believe in it or don't believe in it. That's OK. I do. I, I it resonates with me. And so just kind of <laughs> going aside from that and try not to go on any more tangentials because like you open up a you open up a you you open up a whole can of worms just in that question right <laughs> and so I'll, I'll I'll leave it at this my personal relationship with God is feels like that of a father mm-hmm. um and that feels archetypally true for me right. um like a friend a father um some something a being of some sort that I can seek counsel with that keeps me accountable and also is there for me when I need support. Amen. And, and then, and then there's the whole conversation of like, well, God is within and that's the paradox of it because that's true too. Right. Although also, let me just say this point, just to get this point across, I do believe that we all have the spark of divinity within us, but I know the fact that I'm not God. Right. Like I, I believe that I am a child of God, but I know that I am not God. And that's, that's what, that's the line I draw when it comes to a lot of this, like more, the more abstract spirituality or spiritual theories out there where people say like, we're all gods. Right. Um, I, I don't think that's true. I think, but I do think we have that spark within us, and then it's just up to us how we want to, how we want to direct our life force energy, and how we the choices that we make in our life that either reflect that or don't. Yeah, man, that, that's really beautiful. Um, you know, you, you said you couldn't answer it, but that that response was elegant and beautiful. I, I appreciate that, and a lot of it resonates with me. And I, I think I, I carry a lot of the same values when it comes to that as well. So. Um, Thank you for sharing that with us. Mm, beautiful. So, so going back to addiction, um, you talked about with Paul Greenfield, uh, subtle death habits, and, and you uh-huh. kind of alluded to it at the beginning of this episode, uh, but just the repeated patterns. And you also talked about how it was on a spectrum, which I think is a beautiful um, point to make because when a lot of us think about addiction, we think about drugs or alcohol or uh, even pornography, uh, but subtle addictions, food, food is a huge one, uh, but social media, um, 
just your phone in general convenience you know i think we can all agree if we're honest enough with ourselves that we have had or if not still have some form of addiction that we're not even aware of so uh, what are what are you talking about when you uh, talk about subtle death habits yeah so the subtle death habit idea is simply habits patterns tendencies that are draining our life force energy that are taking us on a downward spiral that are weakening our will weakening our resolve our mental acuity our life force energy they're 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 self-destructive patterns that we can call self-sabotaging tendencies and it's pretty obvious when you look at the quote-unquote addictions in society drugs substances processed food gmo food um you know all of it just 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 put it all in one one little box right and these are all these are all habits that lead us closer to death Hmm. and they they age us they accelerate the aging process they weaken us they cause us to atrophy quicker and so the habits themselves are one thing that's the the draw towards these habits is the subtle death impulse and so it's an impulse within the individual that causes them to reach for things that are self-destructive so it's the impulse for self-destructivity versus self-productivity and that's a really important awareness to have because it's kind of like a parasitic consciousness And a parasite in of itself is an organism or a psychic organism that will continue to rob its host of its vital life force all the way until the host um, dies, essentially. The host is robbed of its life force, its vital energy, its nutrient supply, and it will keep on going until the very last drop because all a parasite knows how to do is be a parasite. Right. And it will go down with the ship because that's, that's just all it knows how to do. And that's, that's a, a micro to a macro reflection of what's going on in the world right now. Right. Which is a whole other, you know, kind of subtopic. <laughs> right. <laughs> what's a, what's a, what's a, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking while you're talking, like what's a, what's a subtle death habit that maybe some of us don't think about? Mm. Uh, pornography. Oh, that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, pornography, and that's a, that's a deep one. And so, I mean, think of it just from the the vital life force energy of a of a man, right? Because ultimately, what you're doing with pornography is you're interfacing into a virtual alternate reality that's hyper stimulating the dopamine system to to produce way more intensified amounts of dopamine in the brain that is is generated entirely from a false reality is it because is it is it does it have anything to do with the way that people in pornography the way they look or is it just the pornography in general no, I think I don't think it has anything to do with the way they look. That's all. That's all like very super superficial. superficial. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, because ultimately it results in the same the same thing. Everyone's naked, and and they're in the outcome is always the same, right? right? True. It's like some demoralization or some kind of like humility. I mean, the deeper you get into it, the more extreme it gets. Then it just goes further down, th- further down this thing of novelty. So the more the more somebody watches pornography, the less of a tolerance they have, and so because the dopamine system needs novelty in order to stay to stay um stimulated Mm -hmm. then they need to find more novel it's like more variations more extreme versions of it more options to choose from but but the point of the point of this example is that it's a it's an artificial alternate reality that the brain doesn't have a context for so the brain can't really determine if it's real or not but because the brain is being so hijacked essentially and hyper stimulated it's interpreting it biologically as if the person is having that experience Mm -hmm. and then what's the result of it it's ultimately the person they they you know they ejaculate they they lose their seed and then then it doesn't seem like a big idea in the society that we have but as this pattern is repeated over and over and over not only is that person's brain being neuro-linked, or I should say it's developing a neuro-associative pattern to getting an erection based on an intensified virtual stimulation that's not typically based on a real sexual um, you know, experience in the real world, but then also they're releasing their seed repeatedly which is actually is actually a death impulse and that's that's like a deep that's a deep kind of exploration into taoism and different Mm -hmm. like hindu perspectives on sexuality and and health and longevity um which we could get into but that's just like an example of like when you're continuing when a man is constantly releasing his seed and he's not restoring he's not restoring those bodily fluids He's actually losing his vital his vital life force. He's losing essential minerals and nutrients, and um, yeah, just like creative power, You're yeah, losing creative your creative power. power. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know this too because then what ends up happening is an individual actually loses their willpower. Mm-hmm. They they have less testosterone. They have less dopamine. They have less will and drive. And then they actually become, and I say they because I've also, I think all of us have probably experienced this. I know I certainly have. We we tend to lose the um, the motivation towards other healthy habits. See, one one unhealthy habit or addiction, this is called this death, subtle death habit. Since we're already talking about this it'll lead to another one. Right. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you don't feel, so you don't feel good about yourself. There's like a subconscious shame or guilt that gets generated. And then all of a sudden you start to eat poorly. Mm-hmm. You start to exercise less, if at all. You start to spend more time on social media, on your phone, on the computer. You get less time in nature. Your sleep quality goes down. All these things start to piggyback on top of each other and uh, that's that's also when it becomes very challenging for an individual to pull themselves out yeah. of it because they think that it's just one thing they're trying to work through, but now it's become four or five or six different things. Mm-hmm. Right. 
You know, you you and Ben had an interesting perspective, and you brought up how uh, watching another man do what you would like to do. You know, uh-huh. as far as fornicating with a loved one, or or you know, for some people that are promiscuous, random strangers, watching that mm-hmm. drops you into a beta wave, uh, brain waves, mm-hmm. and, and that's mm-hmm. where the term like alpha and beta males, like the more uh, feminine yes. man. It, you know, is going to be watching other men perform the things that they want to do. And it doesn't have to be sex, but essentially with pornography, that's what it is. If you'd like to expand on that, brother, I would love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great, that's a great topic. I know this is a, this is a long, this is a topic that's being talked about a lot, especially in like more like men based uh, personal development work all over the internet. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, you know. It, again, I think it goes back to this perspective that I'm sharing about how the brain doesn't distinct between reality and and something that's not real based on the context. Right. Because it's it, because in the in the brain, it's all just it's neurotransmitters, it's chemicals, it's it's electrical stimuli that it it interprets as real because mm-hmm. it's getting the felt sensation of a real experience. Right. Um, and yeah, that, that does put you into what we call a beta brainwave state. And the beta brainwave state is this hyper aroused, very impulsive kind of, um, if you look at it like on a, on an imaging scan, the, the brainwave state is very erratic, mm-hmm. right? So right. it's kind of like this, it, you could, you could, you could look at it like very needy or very like graspy or very like just anxious energy. It's not settled. It's not certain. It's not centered. It's not grounded. It's just very erratic. Right. And that's also another thing about whether it's pornography or anything else that we're trying to, we're trying to use as a pressure release valve if we have too much pressure or our energy is very erratic and scattered or anxious then we tend to seek something outside of us to release the pressure or to calm the system without realizing what's really going on there um and so ultimately what what we need to do from a brainwave perspective is to shift out of the beta brainwave and start getting into the delta and the theta and the gamma, um, the hypergamma, which is which is like more of the exalted brainwave state of a human being, where you know you might relate that to like um, uh, someone who's practiced meditation for for many years and has developed a sense of parasympathetic balance within their um, autonomic nervous system. So essentially someone who's just calm hmm. and grounded and balanced and rational and patient. Um, that, you know, that's kind of, that's my perspective on that. That's, that's a beautiful one. <clears throat> you know, it's, I don't know, you talk a lot. So you recently had um, an ayahuasca experience uh, at the end of last year, correct? Yeah, I've, I believe I've, that's had, what I I've, had, I've said about 13 times overall. Okay. Um, I had seven ceremonies um, last summer, but yeah, the one I mentioned on that show was last December. So so what led you to uh, discovering plant medicines and how has that played a role in the path that you've chosen to take over the last uh, 10 to 15 years as far as diving into the holistic 
uh, lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Well, I discovered plant medicines probably in like 2010 or so. I didn't get really deep into it. I think I, I got I started getting more into experimenting with like psilocybin in 2012 um, on and off. I got really deep into the work of Terrence McKenna and um and you know he he of course was like the most famous um psychonaut or you know ethnobotanist essentially by trade but he got he was really known for promoting different plant medicines particularly psilocybin and talking about the dmt experience and so i was just really fascinated with the way that he explained things in his line of thought and i just i probably listened to at least a hundred hours of his lectures um particularly at that time. And so I, I, I did, I experimented in my own space with different, um, you know, mushroom chocolates and different experiences. And it would just kind of be on and off. I wasn't really too deep into it. I just have like kind of random experiences, but I, but I was studying it quite a bit. And then in 2015, I think I had my first ayahuasca experience in Hawaii and that was a profoundly transformative experience. I had never experienced anything like it, not even close. Right. And profound land too. That, yeah, and it was a, it was just in a very like intimate circle of just four people, and that completely transformed my perspective on many things, especially when it came to plant medicines. And so that kind of started. It started a that journey for me, like really going deeper into this stuff. I took a number of years off from doing ayahuasca. Um, it just wasn't as readily available. And I, I always felt like it was something that I need to feel called towards. And, mm-hmm. and I didn't have like a big drive to, you know, frequently experience these, these things. I, I just, when they, when they came and it felt right, I, I would go into it and have an experience and um, kind of just document my report of findings and then over the last however many years, I got deeper into different different psychotropic medicines like MDMA, psilocybin, um, San Pedro, ayahuasca, and um, and kind of just dabbling a little bit here and there with different forms of LSD um, and different experiences. And all of this was just my own experimentation into my own psyche and my own consciousness, and particularly going through um, my own trauma and my own kind of spiritual initiations, especially when it comes to ayahuasca. Uh, Last summer, as I mentioned, I did seven really deep ayahuasca ceremonies with professional shamans. Most of them were done in Mexico with a particular shaman that I work with. And um, each one of those experiences was incredibly deep, powerful, uh, a wide spectrum of experiences within each sitting. And I'd say that those have completely transformed my consciousness. They, they helped heal things inside of me that I didn't even know needed to be healed. They transformed my, my, um, yeah, just my, my psychological disposition on life. Um, particularly through the integration of the experiences mm. themselves. 
And so plant medicines hold a very near and dear space inside my heart. And I, I also work with different things um, semi-regularly. Um, I do certain work with people in private settings with certain certain modalities when um, when called towards to be able to go deeper into the psychosomatic trauma therapy um, to work to work things out of the nervous system to help people um, to like unearth stored belief systems and stories and trauma imprints that were carried over from childhood and different experiences that they may or may not even recollect until they're able to have an experience that that kind of unearths those those experiences that are stored in their body they're stored in the nervous system in the tissues themselves and then because they're un they're unresolved and unprocessed they can actually create physiological afflictions um you know whether that be like nerve twitching that be like different stress responses um that be um bio you know be like chemical imbalances that we may associate as um depression or or things of this nature these are these are all like emotional impacts that get stored in the body itself and it needs to be processed through some kind of modality and i found that things like mdma or psilocybin can be really effective in the right set and setting, the right type of facilitation, um, and the right types of modality to help people release the the filters of their mind that are keeping them in um keeping them stuck essentially, like in their right. own, who they believe they are, their personal identity, what they think they should be doing in the world, their obligations, responsibilities, their identities. All the all the kind of boxes that we we put ourselves in to hold things like nice and tight and secure, but are also the boxes that are that are holding us back from not just the healing that we're that our soul is trying to experience, but holding us back from actually experiencing the fullness of our life. Right. Yeah. That's, go ahead, brother. I was going to say so. You know, for your like for people out there that. Um, that haven't experienced ayahuasca or any any type of um, you know nootropic like that. Um, you know, I'm sitting here wondering. I'm like, you know, did you did you have any sort of boxes that you subconsciously knew were there, and that's what drew you towards your first experience, or was that purely like a thing that just happened? Um, were you looking to uncover things at first? Mm. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Always. I, I think I've always had that predisposition about me. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just became more of a pursuit the deeper I went into it. Mm -hmm. And the more the veil was lifted, um, you know, my first ayahuasca experience confirmed a lot of things that I was already studying, particularly when it comes to quantum physics and metaphysics and different ideas around the nature of reality. Um, it confirmed a lot of those things in real time. Like it actually showed me perceptual evidence that a lot of these things were actually very real. They weren't just concepts or theories that made sense to me. They're actually being shown right in front of me. And I could also feel it throughout my somatic system. And so it, it, I think it just happened in layers. And I always had an innate knowing or sense about these things. So it's just been a, um, 
a process of of you know unearthing these deeper these deeper felt senses of wisdom over the years by you know kind of spelunking myself into a lot of these these experiments but i've always felt guided towards each one i don't think any of them were reckless or or haphazard even though maybe it would have seemed like that in the moment i think i was always guided towards these things mm -hmm. and always had a natural proclivity towards them um but yeah it, it was always based on a deeper spiritual pursuit for truth um and, and they would tend to come to me in moments where i was ready for for something i was ready for a new experience or i was going through something that was really intense and i felt like i was up against a wall and it just kind of showed up in the right time for me to kind of surrender whatever it was that i thought i needed to do or i was struggling with something and there was no nothing was working like i was just like bumping my head against whatever situations i was dealing with and then a ceremony opportunity would show up and it would feel like the right thing mm -hmm. and then i would just i was like okay great i'm gonna i'm going right into it and then it would help to show me things that when i saw it like in the in the medicine experience in the ceremony it would show me things in my life that when i saw it when i experienced it it seemed very obvious but because of the but but it, it gave me a different angle on it. It gave me a different way of looking at it that I couldn't have seen before because, you know, it's like our our frame rate of reality, our perception of reality gets stuck. Right. And we can only see what we can only see based on what we're able to see in that moment. And a lot of it has to do with our tendencies towards fight, flight or freeze, our stress response. Um but through these type of experiences where it kind of lifts, it kind of gives us an ability to lift, lift above our 3d perceptual frame of reality. And it can show us more of a, a um, what I call like a God's eye view or just a higher vantage point where you can actually see how things are working out perfectly in your life or how things need to shift like one millimeter to the left, one millimeter to the right, a few steps in this direction, let go of this thing, move over here. And it shows you, it just shows you things that you wouldn't be able to see um, in your normal kind of waking state. Right. Amen. Yeah. It gets you out. It gets you outside of the default mode network. You kind of alluded to exactly. it, but, but the, basically the information superhighway that you paved throughout your life with all your experiences or, or your, your analytical mind or your ego, all these words kind of are interwoven, um, but they get you outside of that. And that's beautiful. One thing exactly I wanted to right, touch yeah. on with, um, with what you said at the beginning of talking about plant medicine, and I think is probably the most crucial step, and I, I think you'll agree with it, uh, the integration part. Because so, so many people have these profound experiences with plant medicines, 
and then they they go home and they don't know how to integrate it and it's almost can leave them in a state of psychosis or or uh worse off than they were because they don't know how to ground that information so uh ronnie if you could what does the integration process look like for you or uh what have you experienced as far as um the actual integration is it something that you were shown throughout the process or were you kind of left to figure it out yourself i mean it's a great question and you know, I've had some plant medicine experiences that were so full on that were so like, yeah, that were just so full on, took me so deep into so many different directions. And when I look back on it and the circumstances surrounding it, it seems near impossible that I was able to actually smoothly transition from that experience back into my regular reality and all I can say for me is that I feel like there's a natural, there's some sort of mechanism inside of me that knows how to do this. Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't necessarily have like a manual as far as like, okay, these are, these are all the integration modalities. This is what I need to do when I go back. Yeah, there were instructions. There was guidance. But it was almost like it was like, it was speaking to me in like more of a philosophical directive. Right. Like it was more like, this is how you need to start looking at your life mm. versus like, here's the 10 steps to changing your life and how to integrate the experience. It's almost like it just kind of, it, it is like, I just had to trust that when I went back, if I just, if I just took some space and some time to reflect on my experience, to, you know, to not just rush back into my normal, my normal kind of things, mm -hmm. business or whatever, whatever my things were, um, you know, social media and all this, if I just took some space and some time that it would all kind of settle naturally. Right. And I think that's what's happened for me. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't, there weren't practices involved. I think that for for most people, if not everybody, when when I look at integration, the word integration to me means integrity. Mm -hmm. So it, it really became more of a thing where I had to start I had to start owning up to whatever it was that I was not in integrity with. That's beautiful. And it yeah. wasn't just like changing the patterns or the habits. It was changing my consciousness around it. Mm -hmm. It was changing my attitude. The perspective. And it doesn't mean that I didn't participate in some of the things that um, maybe I didn't feel an integrity with or that I felt like, you know, in a ceremony, I was like, okay, like this is it. I'm done with this particular habit. And that was true in that moment. Right. But it doesn't mean that I didn't, continue it at different points. It doesn't mean I completely succeeded in that. It was right. a process. But the, the the authentic intent was there. Right. And so, you know, again, like when I look at integrity, it just it means integration. Integration and integrity ultimately are the same word. And so the integration process isn't just about integrating the experience it's about using the experience to become a more integrated version of yourself. And that's a continual process. And I think the biggest challenge is that 
when we go off to some of these experiences, particularly ayahuasca, because usually it's done in a very different location. Um, I don't really recommend doing it in a city for sure. Right. Um, and that's, <laughs> or any that's psychedelics the, the, for that matter. <laughs> and, you, and it needs to be done with a shaman or shamanista who is very experienced ideally is rooted in the particular culture or is comes out of a particular lineage and is done in an environment that that's what they do. Right. Um, and there's a set in a setting and there, you know, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole experience in of itself. And ideally it's best, um, if it's done over a week retreat. Now that doesn't mean it has to be, but I, I find like for most people, especially going into your first experience, it's just really helpful if, you go into an experience that's carried out for five to seven days and maybe there's two to three ceremonies, but then there's also integration practices in, in workshops along the way you're doing a form of a dieta, which is basically the, the cleansing diet that they do. And there's, there's support there and you're, you're out of your normal environment for a certain amount of time. So you can rest and recover as you're going through the experience. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, brother. <clears throat> that was uh, that's yeah. beautiful advice, man. Beautiful advice, and and you know, especially with what from what I see, and I have a very limited perspective into the plant medicine community, but you know, it, it seems to almost have become a fad. Um, with, with yeah. plant medicines and uh, and that's kind of where i get the the lack of integration and, and people kind of experiencing these things and getting lost is just spirituality almost as a whole has become kind of a, a fad over the past few years and i'm not mm -hmm. sure what has caused that or you know i think it's a beautiful thing because people are becoming aware uh, that there's so much more than just chad hafler or, or ronnie landis i think it's beautiful mm -hmm. but i think it's also left a, a big space for not only people to be exploited but the plant medicines themselves you know losing the integrity of, sure. of the spirit you know um so it's always something to be mindful of. And I think you brought up a really powerful point of being mindful of the container that you're going to uh, place yourself in, you know, whether it, it be yeah, a retreat, and, and I, go ahead. No, I would just say too, like it has to be up to each individual's own, own sense of like inner navigation, meaning you really have to tune in with yourself. If this is the right experience for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's a process of, of discernment and a process of learning how to trust your body, how to trust your heart, how to communicate with your body and, and reading the signals and signs that your body's giving you. Usually a yes to something will feel very expansive. Usually a no will feel very contractive. Mm -hmm. And you have to just kind of feel into that and take some time to to feel into that. And hopefully you have practices that you that you have now like whether it's breath work or some form of meditation um some form of stillness or self-observation processes that can guide you towards experiences that feel like they're they're meant for you or not so you can just discern between you know what 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 were or no words yeah what works and what doesn't work for sure but what what you're feeling called towards and then how do you develop trust with your with yourself? That's really key. Um, 
Yeah, because the, these experiences, you know, I do believe, and I wrote a lot about it in the addiction book, I believe that these are some of the most fundamentally important experiences, talking about plant medicine experiences, that a human being in our world can, can have. Um, however, with that said, they serve as entry points into a new possibility for your life for what life can be, how somebody can be in their life, what the potential is for their life, but they don't they don't do the work for you. Right. And you can have the most profound illuminating experience ever and you can also backslide a hundred steps afterwards too. Right. And it can be very challenging to integrate that if you don't do the quote unquote work and all the work really is, is just honestly and authentically making the best effort that you can to practice what it is that you learned from a medicine experience or for that matter, any, any developmental experience, whether that's coaching, that's going to a workshop, a seminar, um, listening to a podcast, Whatever it is, these are all access points for creating creating like a new way of being. And so just to your point, the, the challenge with the plant medicine world is that it has become kind of like a fad because so many people are trying to escape their current reality. They're trying to escape their problems. And, and granted, sometimes sometimes it feels like we need to do that because sometimes, again, reality can get so flat and so mundane and so colorless. And if we're if we're feeling like we're in a place of depression, we don't feel well about ourselves. We some people feel suicidal. Um, then you need something powerful enough to jumpstart that life force. And that's where these experiences can be incredibly powerful for people. But then you need to find you need to find solid ground to stand on after the experience, mm-hmm. because then you can develop um, a pattern of trying to run off to the next experience, the next thing, the next thing mm-hmm. as a way to try to find that solid ground. And that's where the tendency towards escapism can go and people can easily get lost psychologically they can get lost in these states and it can be challenging to discern between you know um what's real and what's not real right this everything i'm saying is like it's such a a deep (laughs) such a deep conversation in of itself so i'm I'm trying to just kind of pull back a little bit because i can see this could be like its own two-hour podcast in of itself well we can do a couple if you'd like brother But but you're absolutely right, man. You're absolutely right, and uh, you have such an elegant way of of articulating it, and I appreciate that. I think we I think we just discovered why it is becoming so popular because I think people are now more in need than they've ever been, or or aware of the need. Aware of the need. I you know I think that people have been in need for so long, but they don't know where to look, and in this powerful. Uh, modality has come forward in, in almost the mainstream narrative with celebrities going down and doing uh, retreats yeah. and, and vocalizing their experiences. And, you know, it's a, it can be a beautiful thing, but, you know, in a dualistic reality, light and dark, you know, again, the exploitation mm-hmm. and the, the escapism that Ronnie alluded to. Um, so 
Yeah, because if you're not doing any of the, you know, quote unquote work or integration to come back, it, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, it could be a very powerful yeah. experience, but if you don't know what to do with it, like you said, I love when you said you have to have a, uh, a powerful ground to stand on when you right. come back. Um, you know, and, and for me at least, um, you know, one of the things I've always rooted myself in is, is exercise, uh, as one of my integration points. And, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. That just kind of hit me. Like when you said, I think that, I think that's, that's amazing. You mentioned that I'm glad you did because that's the same thing for me. Like, I think that's why I integrate experiences so rapidly because, of my background as an athlete, a martial artist, and I, I train regularly all the time. And I, I do tell people the number one integration modality is is some form of physical fitness, exercise, mobility, yoga, training, something that you do regularly to integrate your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, because getting it's all about getting back into your body, right? The biggest challenge with all this is that people feel disembodied and they're stuck in their proverbial head. And so we're super analytical. We're trying to figure out everything logically and rationally. And, and, and granted, it's, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with being rational. It's, it's definitely a lost art right now. <laughs> you know, but however, like a lot of people feel, they feel like they, do, they don't feel safe in their body for many different reasons and they don't feel well in their body. Mm-hmm. And so in, in a lot of people in the spiritual uh, community, they don't know how to ground into their body. They become, they're either too feminine or too yin and they're, they're challenged with getting into their body and feeling safe and secure in their physical body. So I, I do agree. I agree with you completely, whether it's somebody's dealing with addiction, a health challenge, a motivational issue, um, dealing with pornography, bad eating habits, substances, um, integrating from plant medicines. I do think that physical training is actually the most powerful integration modality there is. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We actually, both of us just ran our first marathon. We were in the flying pig marathon mm. here in Cincinnati where we're at. So, um, Amazing. Yeah, that's um, something we we also do. We're very into um, physical fitness, and both of us are into running and running long distances. It's like a moving meditation. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. one of the most powerful uh, spiritual experiences I've actually had was this past weekend. I ran my first ultra marathon, and man, I cry. I told Eric, and we talked about it on the last podcast. So I won't go too deep into it, but man, I I cried four times. And thought about my relationship with my wife. Uh, my deceased father came to me, like mm. all these things that I had stored up that I didn't realize were stored. Mm. You know, I, I was kind of conscious, like, man, these, these have been painful events in my past. Uh, but I thought I had moved through them. But as you you guys know, it's a spiral when you come back around to a, a deeper layer of it, and just really pushing myself for 32 miles. It's just like broke all that stuff down and brought it to the surface Mm. in such a powerful Mm. way, man. It it was a really, really profound experience for me, almost like a plant medicine experience. So uh, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think whether you put your clothes, this is a metaphor, by the way. So whether you, you know, whether, whether you can put your clothes in, you know, the washing machine one time, 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, Mm. it might take 20 cycles with the best uh, stain removal ever. 
in order to get that stain out. And right. I think whether it's plant medicine, whether it's exercise, meditation, whatever it is, you know, whatever it takes to get that stain away is, is, is your thing. Right. You know, and it, it will continue to come up and continue to go over. And I mean, I, I still think about things that I thought, you know, thought I had worked through and got the stains out, but they just come back around. Right. And there it Amen. is again. Right. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, that's, that's something everybody needs to hear because there is no one approach that's going to solve anything. And, and I think the attempt to try to solve your problems is actually part of the problem. Mm. And that's, that's a bit of a, it's a, it's a paradox in a, in a sense, because we're never going to be on the finish line. Right. (laughs) And when it comes to addiction or healing on one end, there is the healing of the, of the thing itself and the moving on from the pattern. And then there's also the continual pursuit of our own development, our own human potential. And, you know, some of these patterns are so deeply laced like rings inside of a tree and they spiral and you move through one layer and one cycle. And then you find yourself moving through another layer and cycle and the residue of the last cycle reappears, but it's not quite as intense as the last one but it's still remnants of the old one so it's like there's there's a there's versions of ourself that we're moving through there's there's imprints there's emotional impacts there's experiences that we've been through that have left a residue that is just passing through like a cyclical seasonal dynamic in our experience and so a lot of people feel that they're doing it wrong. They get disappointed or think that something's never going to end because they keep experiencing a similar kind of phenomenon in their healing process. And a really powerful thing is actually to completely let go of the need to heal anything. And just accept. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just accept what is while also moving forward and okay. doing your best. Amen. And also never quit on quitting. That's something I tell people all the time. Like if you're trying to quit cigarettes or something, you know, and you find yourself like you quit, then you go back, you quit, then you go back. Well, you're working through something deeper than the the cigarette itself. There's, there's something deeper that you're working through that you, you keep going back to it. And, and granted it is your choice. You can make it easier. You can make it hard on yourself and you can go through the discomfort temporarily or you can keep, you know, going back and forth with it, but just never quit on quitting because there will come a time where you get so sick and tired of it that you actually will completely follow through at some point. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a really powerful point. I've never heard it put that way, but man, that's that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff because you know the lessons get louder. So if you uh-huh. if you identify it's like okay, I need to quit this. And you keep experiencing it eventually, uh, you know, in that instance, you may end up with lung cancer. It's like, man, I've known for 30 fucking years I needed to quit and I didn't. I gave up on quitting and here I am laying on my deathbed. Yeah. Or you, or you might just, you might just get sick and tired of the insanity that you're doing right now by like quitting and then going by a night pack and then throwing it away. And, right. And it's like, and then you just, you, you just kind of realize like, okay, now this now has reached a point of just ridiculousness right (laughs) 
but but it, you know what's interesting too is it, it does allow you to see it see to see it more clearly right and that's why if you just keep quitting like and don't worry about what anyone says about you don't let anyone discourage you you just watch your behavior and pattern long enough till you get to that place where you realize okay this is I, I've been doing this thing over and over and over at some point enough is enough right amen brother amen so so to jump uh kind of jump subjects here um something i i saw in your material is the quantum collapse process that you talk about um do you want to briefly touch on that i i don't know how much time you have it looks like we're a little over an hour um but but what does that look like what does that mean um could you touch on that yeah. Um, so the quantum collapse process is essentially uh, a guided meditation breathwork process that I take people through. It's a psychosomatic integration process, meaning it helps to integrate the brainwave state of the left and right hemispheres of the brain with the overall nervous system of the body. So integrating the brain and the body together through um, through guiding people through breathwork and teaching them how to track their own autonomic sensations, meaning the sensations of their body, and teaching them how to essentially sense what's going on in their body as a first, as a first preliminary clearing process. So I'll just have people sit in front of me or I'll do this on coaching calls or in workshops. doesn't really matter. It all works pretty much the same. And I'll have people go into just a regular breathing cycle of inhaling through the nose, exhaling through the mouth, getting very comfortable in their body, and then just kind of guiding them through a verbal process. For example, you know, I'll say something like, you know, allow yourself to feel all the sensations that arise in your physical body. And then that, that triggers uh, an awareness in their mind where they start to become aware of the sensations in their body. Mm -hmm. And then I might say, allow yourself to feel any senses of contraction, friction, tension, or stress in your physical body. So as they continue to breathe, they'll start to sense where there's any friction or tension or stress in their body. The whole key is that they continue to breathe while being simply aware of the sensations. And then, you know, I'll, I'll take them through, you know, a 20 or 30 minute process that just continues like this and goes deeper. And ultimately the process is for them to become fully embodied in their physical body while also moving stored stress out out of the body through their breath mm -hmm. and it, it can get really deep um this process can get really deep and essentially all i'm doing is i'm teaching people through a guided process to get more acquainted with their physical body and the sensations that are existing in their body that are basically unprocessed energy mm -hmm. and sometimes People will become aware of different traumas, different um, different stories or belief systems that are embedded in these particular parts of their body 
where they're holding um, stress or tension. And then, um, you know, everybody, everybody goes through a different process. It's really interesting when I, I work with clients and I can go really deep with them, especially if we're doing something like an MDMA assisted um, psychotherapy kind of session. Um, and this is something that everybody can do on their own too. Um, you know, essentially what you're doing is you're just, you're learning to completely relax the mind to the point where you're fully in your body, mm-hmm. where the mind is quiet and the body just starts to go through a bit of like a purging process, like a, like an energetic purging process. But most people never really experience that because A, they don't feel safe in their body. They don't know how to relax. They don't know how to surrender to the intelligence of their body. And they're, they're holding all the, a lot of the time. You see people when they're, they're, their neck is tight, their back is tight, they're hunched over, they're looking down, they're looking at the computer, they're sitting down all the time. They're, they're holding, there's the holding patterns and they're contracted. And all that is just like, it's just like um, subconscious control mechanisms to protect against the world, to protect against life, to protect against being hurt or whatever it is. And so essentially all I'm doing is helping people release the armoring and release the constriction of the mind so they can allow the inner physician of their body to take over. Oh man, that's a beautiful process. That's a beautiful process. And speaking of process, help them process, you know what? I think they say upwards of 70% of the toxins in our body are released through the exhale and the carbon dioxide that we release. So that's a huge thing that people are unaware of. It's like you think of getting rid of waste, you think of urinating and, and taking a crap and sweating, but you don't think about the toxins actually leaving through your breath. It's like, what? Nothing's coming out. It's yeah. like, well. <laughs> and, and, those are, and, what, and, and all those elimination processes are involuntary autonomic processes. Right. So, when somebody's not able to eliminate um, through one of these channels of elimination, it's because their body is in a heightened state of stress and contraction, mm-hmm. and they're in a they're in an autonomic stress response. Right. So the the key to being able to help people effectively detox or eliminate is get their body into an autonomic parasympathetic state. So they can fully relax and then the body will start to do what it's designed to do. Right. Would that typically be like a a first step that you would recommend or even apply to someone that is, you know, in an addiction that they just can't see their way out of? Well, it's always unique to the individual. So, I mean, I, for anyone listening, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a full spectrum type of approach as far as um, healing goes. It's going to be unique to the individual, but the things you got to think about are nutrition and diet. Mm-hmm. Most people need to alkalize their diet. They're way too acidic, especially if they're dealing with poor eating habits, processed food, GMO food, tap water, sugary drinks, coffee. You know, God knows what else. Um, they need to start alkalizing their body, get on fresh green vegetable juices, drinking spring water or the best quality water you have access to. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it's going to be getting on more of a, a, 
uh, organic plant-based diet um, as a cleansing and detox process um, and or increasing the you know high quality um, animal foods like grass-fed grass-finished meats and um, organic uh, raw pasture-raised dairy or organ meats um, you know that's a bit of an exploration and it's going to be different based on where each individual is at in their journey mm-hmm. But they're going to need to really look at their diet and nutrition protocols. Some form of cleansing and detoxing is essential. Um, they're going to need to start looking at their sleep quality. So sleep optimization is also absolutely critical. And looking at their thinking and emotional processing, because that has just as much of effect as as our health practices And if we're eating highly acidic food and processed food, or we have food allergies, then that's going to agitate the mind, right? And if we have a very erratic stress-based thought process, that's going to affect our food choices because then people tend to emotionally eat as Mm -hmm. a way to medicate their their mental angst. Mm -hmm. So it, it works as a dual, a dual effect. If you change your diet and you start increasing the vitality of the body and you feel better, you're digesting better, then your mind will be more at ease. You'll feel more uplifted. Your serotonin and dopamine will reach more of a baseline. Um, and then you'll be able to think better, right? Mm-hmm. Do better, feel better, think better. Um, everything will get better. You'll be able to make better decisions. Um, and then, like we mentioned before, having a fitness routine can absolutely change the trajectory of someone's life. That can make you feel significantly better. And then one thing leads to another, right? So if you feel better in your body, you'll feel better mentally. Then you'll have more energy. And then all of a sudden, you'll have more energy to actually do things. Mm-hmm. Right. And then hopefully you'll you'll start to want to do things that make you feel better instead of continuing to do things that don't make you feel good because once you start to feel what it's like to feel good you tend to want to keep feeling good yep absolutely yep absolutely so ronnie one one last thing before we let you go i know we're getting into um a, a longer episode uh, but you talk about a dopamine fast and, and a reset protocol as far as uh, the dopamine output in our body. Uh, can you briefly go over that? And, and how does that tie into people on pharmaceuticals or people that are trying to um, come off of pharmaceuticals? Mm. Uh, for the for like doing a dopamine fast? Correct. Well, I mean, again, it's going to that that's a that could be like a long conversation as far as like pharmaceuticals are concerned. Right. And, um, you know, each person is going to be in a different situation. So I, first of all, I think that everybody would need to consult with a holistic um, doctor, naturopath or um, a natural based um, practitioner to right. be able to properly guide them for their specifics. Um, I definitely am not a fan of pharmaceutical medication. There are certain situations that people find themselves in where um, it can be helpful based on the information that they were given up to the point that they're taking these things. And then the brain and the body develop um, dependencies. So then you would need somebody to support you in the detoxing process of that. Um, 
aside from that, um, the dopamine fast itself is really powerful and it really is the single, single avenue for addiction recovery. Um, because it's the dopamine system itself that develops the, the chemical codependency to outside substances or drugified technology, social media, computers, video games, gambling apps, um, you know, just, just technology in of itself, hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, de- it, it develops these, um, just to, that that's basically where addiction from a brain perspective, that's how addictions form in the right. dopamine system. And so we have to take ourselves through a dopamine reset process where we start to abstain and wean off of the external mechanisms that are triggering the dopamine in our brain. Just so people know, dopamine is producing the brain primarily in the anticipation of a future event or experience. So when you, when you're, when you think of a future experience that you feel is pleasurable or is going to give you some sort of reward, you get a little bit of dopamine as a way to motivate you to pursue that experience. So when you think about the the sugar or the cake or the food or the pornography or the video game or the social media, the likes, the engagement, the um, the flickering lights, you know, whatever it is, hmm. your brain, your brain signals a little bit of dopamine because dopamine controls motivation, willpower and drive. And so all that's happening here is that the dopamine system has been trained for immediate gratification and short-term pleasure at the expense of long-term sustainable, um, uh, you know, results, fulfillment, delayed gratification. And so the dopamine reset or dopamine fast process, the, the intention behind it is ultimately to retrain your brain to be motivated towards experiences that are going to generate long-term sustainable results and lead you towards goals that are productive and satisfying versus um, immediate uh, immediate gratification and immediate pleasure, which is ultimately what we're dealing with with addiction. It's chasing pleasure to avoid pain. Mm. And we have to get comfortable with discomfort in the short term if it's going to lead us towards um, sustainable pleasure, like real pleasure, not just like flickering lights and, you know, ejaculation and, and climax and these short term excitatory experiences that actually leave us drained mm-hmm. later. Um, but things that are going to build us up and feel, you know, like working out, getting that that dopamine hit when you work out and you push through the discomfort and you get that second wind. Right. That second wind is that dopamine kicking on saying, good job. You, you just moved through a psychological barrier. Now here's the reward of extra energy. Keep going. Yeah. Or like building a business is the same thing. But anything, anything in life that we, that is actually truly rewarding, it takes time, it takes effort and it, it takes a lot of patience. And so the whole point of it is just retraining the brain 
in the motivational circuits of the brain, which is really the dopamine system, to seek out experiences that are going to be long-term fulfilling. And, um, and the, the fasting process, the resetting process, is an abstaining process from those things that are interfering with our long-term satisfaction. Wow. So, so could people experience, <clears throat> forgive my ignorance, can people experience almost like a withdrawal uh, from that, you know, when they're going through totally. this process? Are there physical symptoms or e obviously Absolutely. they're probably psychological symptoms, but. Yeah. Yeah. So typically the, the symptoms that people experience is a lack of motivation a decreased energy, decreased mental focus. Um, and this is particularly true if people have become habituated towards stimulants, caffeine, tobacco, nicotine, um, those two, those big ones. I mean, obviously, if you get into things like amphetamines and um, different types of drugs, but even, even things like social media, mm -hmm. if people delete the apps on their phone and they get off social media for 7 to 14 days, they might experience little dips in their their energy or their motivation as well. They might even experience subtle or maybe not so subtle bouts of what we might term as depression. That's how deep this stuff is. Mm -hmm. And you don't notice it until you actually start to move away from it. Right. The, those symptoms, however, are temporary. Mm -hmm. And if you have the right supplemental and nutritional and lifestyle approach, you can mitigate those symptoms pretty effectively. And that's something that I've put together in my ultimate dopamine reset program, which is a self-study course, um, which you can go to hhphealth.com forward slash dopamine. It's a full 30 video educational course that you can go through. And it also has a 30 page PDF that I created with um, a set of supplemental protocols for cannabis, uh, tobacco, coffee, caffeine, um, social media, and sugar and processed foods. And that can help your brain radically adapt to the, um, yeah, the adaptation process. If you don't have those things, then it can be a longer withdrawal process. And that's typically when people experience like headaches and, um, you know, like extremely intensified decreases in motivation and energy. Those things again are temporary and will, will um, balance out if you stick with it, but better yet, if you do the things that are actually going to support you, um, like pretty much everything we've talked about, if you just learn to redirect your energy, um, and direct it into productive habits, then you can mitigate those short-term discomforts. Man, <clears throat> what a powerful episode, Ronnie. This has been such uh, an honor, first and foremost, but uh, just a, a information-packed episode yeah. that I think people are going to get a lot of value out of, and, and we're grateful to have you here at the roundtable uh, be, before we end, Eric, do you have anything for, for Ronnie? No, let's just make sure we let him, you know. Plug yourself. Yeah, that's where yeah, I was going to go. No. Um, so, Ronnie, here's a space for you to plug your books, plug plug whatever you feel like plugging, brother. Cool. Well, I really appreciate it. It's, this is a great conversation. We went into a lot of different directions. 
And um, if people are interested in the book, they can go to theaddictionfreelifestyle.com, theaddictionfreelifestyle.com. The 30-Day Ultimate Dopamine Reset Program is www.hhphealth.com forward slash dopamine. And um, yeah, and then I also have a podcast that you can check out. You can go to iTunes or just type in the search engine, Ronnie Landis podcast. It'll pop right up. Um, I have Instagram and Facebook. I'm a little more present on Instagram. Um, if you want to follow me there, Ronnie Landis. And uh, that's about it. Yeah. And then also on your Facebook page, you have a link to all of your other courses. You're into herbalism and yeah. some other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you're interested in herbalism and some of his other courses, uh, go to his Facebook page and there's a link in his little bio uh, that that I discovered. There's a lot of great information there. So, uh, Ronnie, thank you so much for joining us at the roundtable. And hopefully this is the first of a, of a few conversations that you join us. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can dive absolutely. down some of these individual rabbit holes that we kind of scrape the surface of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, brother, I love you, man. It's great to connect. And uh, I hope you have a magical week. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ronnie. Absolutely. See you, man. Man. Whoa. Yeah. That was a great one. Whoa. Great one. That was awesome. It was, man. Super intelligent guy. And the way he articulates, he articulates so well. Very well. uh, Super, super grateful to connect with him uh, with the wonderful tool of social media. Yeah. You know, when I first started seeing his stuff, I, you know, I. It's like, man, this guy, a lot of his shit resonates with me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things were confirmational to the things that had come to me. And um, it all makes sense now. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful mind. Grateful to have you on, Ronnie, if if you go back and listen to this. Uh, Man, what a great one. Thank you. For sure, man. Thank you. The round man. The the round man. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Well. All you beautiful souls that tuned in this week at the roundtable with Ronnie Landis and Eric and I, uh, we are so grateful. We love you, and uh, we can't wait to bring our light back to you. So have a great week, and we will talk to you soon. Peace. Take a look at myself, see my third eye, third eye.